What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. We've got Brian Cummings on the podcast today. He is in year or, or has completed year 15 with Slack Inc. And so he is a talent acquirer. He is a book publisher. He's going to talk about marketing, both uh, internationally and domestic. And and so recently we talked with Dr. Jeff Conan and Mark Knobloch about their book. And they talked about how, how it is from their side is because they are athletic trainers writing books. Brian is not an athletic trainer. Brian is a book publisher working for a book publishing company. And so we get to hear kind of both sides of the story. And he has, you know, we're, we're going to talk about it some, but he's got 50 plus projects related to athletic training books kind of queued up ready to to you know at some form in the process so we're going to hear about those projects and connecting them um, but again we're talking about publishing books with Brian Cummings today on the sports medicine broadcast I'm also joined by Todd Sable and he's coming back again Todd is a great content creator on Instagram if you want to follow him there you can look at Todd sports med um, so Todd sport Todd Sports Med, right, Todd? Okay, Todd Sports Med. This episode is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash publishing books. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash publishing books. And since we're on the topic of publishing books, I'm going to start with um, my favorite book as a kid. Actually, I think the only book that I really ever read as a kid, the only book I remember reading before like getting out of college, besides a textbook, was a book called... Uh, fast forward. So if you ever saw the movie Click by Adam Sandler, it was it was almost the same thing. So like this kid found this remote in this like TV shop and he found out it controlled time and so, you know, he would fast forward through certain parts of his life and ended up missing things. It was almost just like the movie Click by Adam Sandler. And so that's the one book I remember reading. I think I read it in 6th grade. I don't know if it was for a book report or I just happened to decide to read a book that day, but Obviously, it stuck with me because, you know, 20-something years later, and I can still remember the, the some of the details of that book. So, all right. So, Brian, you mentioned your favorite book was Snowshoeing. So, tell me a little bit about Snowshoeing. Yeah. Um, first, uh, thank you both for having me on your podcast, and thanks for Dr. Jeff Conan for making the connection. This is, this is really great for me. You're kind of tying two of my favorite worlds together, athletic training and podcasting, so fantastic. Um, I too, in spite of being in the publishing world, was not an avid reader. Um, even as an adult, it still is like ambient to me. I pick up a book, get a couple pages, and I'm out. There's a book called Snowshoeing Through Sewers. Um, it's about a, a gentleman who claims to be an urban adventurer, and he takes adventures around uh, my local area, South Jersey, Philadelphia, and New York. So, for example, he decides he's going to circumnavigate the island of Manhattan in a canoe. And he talks about all the difficulties and getting stranded and trying to pull up at a port and getting shooed away by security. So it was a lot of stories about looking for adventure in your own backyard, but the types of trouble and calamity that can ensue. Uh, Very small print run. It's been around since the late 80s. Fantastic, funny read. And it did make me want to go out and explore my surroundings in a way that I didn't. I read a book by uh, Ted Decker. I think it was called Bone Man's Daughter or something like that. And it it was set in like in the Austin area. And so Houston and, and Austin are about two and a half hours apart. And so just to read a book, you're like, hey, I've been there. Hey, I know that area. You know, it's it's pretty cool. And it's just fun to, to read those things and makes you a little bit more interested as well. So 
Absolutely. All right, Todd, your favorite book. I also was not an avid reader as a student, um, even even in college and grad school. I, you know, other than, you know, the textbooks we were required to read, I didn't really do much of anything outside of that. Uh, but the past the past two years, I would say predominantly, I've, I've gotten into a lot of uh, personal development um, reading and um I would say my and I this the most recent book that I finished was uh, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Um, he's a Navy SEAL. Um, has just an extremely captivating story about his upbringing. Um, I, for, I forget where I, I, he was born in Buffalo, lived in Buffalo, had a real real rough childhood with an abusive father, and um, just you know took took him a long a long time to find his way and. Um, ended up going to the Navy SEALs. I mean, it, it's a really, really long story and uh, was one of the, the kind of the hardest guys, he calls himself, uh, in the Navy SEALs and runs a bunch of ultra marathons now, raises a bunch of money for uh, for families of, you know, fallen soldiers and things like that. So um, it's an extremely um, good book. It's not, you know, not, not a typical self-development book where it's just like, you know, you need to do this to be better, blah, blah, blah. It's you know, he, he ties everything into his personal life and, you know, how he was able to set world records and take take his mind to a very, very dark place to be able to you know, kind of see how tough he was and how, how far the, the mind will let you go. So it was a really, really good book. Oh, David Goggins makes everything seem possible in this world. Yes. Given where he started and where he ended up, he, it really is inspirational in a way that isn't typical. Do this, do that. It's, it's get out of your own way and muscle through. You know, that's kind of a, actually a perfect lead-in because we did talk about publishing a book with Dr. Mark Knobloch and Conan, as I mentioned earlier. And they said, you know, Mark mentioned, it's like, just start writing. Just start writing your book. Just do it. Like, everything is possible. And we kind of mentioned, you know, everybody can write a book. Not everybody should, but everybody can. You just got to start doing it. You got to decide, okay, I'm not going to watch, like he said, King of Queens reruns again, or I'm not going to watch The Office again, which is really difficult to, you know, not watch. The Office is really funny. But as we're talking about David Goggins making everything possible, just one of that's one of your favorite books there. So there we go. Everybody has the opportunity to participate in writing a book. It just, we have to see where it goes from there. So Brian, we mentioned that you kind of have an expertise in acquisition and you mentioned that in your notes here that book publishers are, they need new content. They need a steady stream of new content. So the authors are the lifeblood for for book publishers. So talk a little bit more about that and then talk about connecting the people who want to write books with the people who need books written. Yeah, perfect. Um, I'm usually the point of contact for anybody interested in developing content in the form of a textbook or electronic resource. I don't necessarily focus on the delivery method. I focus more on the content and the authors. Uh, It's very common for people to have a book idea and want to share that idea. It's less common for somebody to take that topic and actually create a table of contents to put down their thoughts, to identify who the market is, to identify the key benefits of the book and how it could be uh, beneficial to the intended audience. I'm the person who helps authors tie those pieces together. I represent Slack Incorporated in a way that uh, helps people share their ideas write the manuscript, and get it over to the editorial team. Primarily, uh, I focus on textbooks for the athletic training audience. Faculty and students prove to be a reliable market. The 
majority of textbook authors are faculty members who are either frustrated with current course offerings, they don't like the textbook that currently exists, or they've been teaching a course a different way for 20 years and just need to put that content into a textbook. There's also people who have been ruminating and looking for partnership uh, on their book idea. So for example, I may have somebody who has a fantastic idea, isn't a great writer, and is looking for me to tie them together with a co-author or a set of contributing authors. There's almost endless possibilities uh, and ways to bring that idea into a published book. And my goal is to make every step of the way easy, stress-free, and profitable for everyone involved. And profitable, I don't just mean monetarily. There's lots of different reasons people write books, particularly in this audience. The primary reason is to give back to the profession. Um, I have a special technique that I use that is effective and evidence-based, so I want to present that in a textbook format. Or as I mentioned, I've been teaching this course for the last 15 years. I have this collection of material. My students have peer-reviewed it. My colleagues have peer-reviewed it, and it's ready for publication. Book publishing is a nice alternative to typical journal publishing and uh, getting those articles released because it allows you to expound on your ideas in a way that journal articles don't. Um, it's less rigid in format and you can really bring in those key players and key elements that you want to play as opposed uh, that you want to put into your manuscript as opposed to the journal publishing, which is a great outlet, but is very restricted. And anyone who's ever submitted to a journal uh, for professional press publication, you, you know that you really get run through the ringer. And uh, the textbook allows you to bring in your own aspects and material there. So if most are faculty um, at a university, what are the chances or likelihood that a secondary school athletic trainer contributes to a textbook? I would say those are still pretty high, actually. We, we do see people... Um, reaching up from the high school market or people who uh, aren't in education or just out and maybe in the workplace. Uh, we have some people who uh, come from us from other professions. We have dual credential authors who are PTs and with the AT credential. So it's not a disqualifying agent not to be a faculty member. It's just that it, for our intended audience and what we do best is the textbook market it's most common for the faculty members to be the ones who are creating content in that area. I will say for um, specialty projects, if, if you're looking at um, the foot or the ankle or concussion, you will likely be reaching out to someone who isn't necessarily just in, in education to, to bring in their expertise. There would be a, more of an interprofessional collaboration. You may bring in somebody from the medical side, somebody from field side of things and collaborate with them on those ideas. But for our primary goal, which is to create high level textbooks for faculty and students, most of the people come from that area. So if, if let's say I'm, a, I'm an athletic trainer, not in a traditional faculty role, um, and you know, maybe, maybe your publishing company wouldn't be the right one for me, what, what, what else, what else would I look at? Would I look at uh, self-publishing or uh, you know, a, a different a different type of publisher for my book, or um, would I would I hire somebody to help help me find you know find someone, or how how would that work if I'm not in that traditional realm like you're talking about? Yeah, that that's one of the great things about the athletic training market is 
there are a number of publishers who vary in what they offer. Where Slack Incorporated primarily focuses on that textbook market, and we stay very in touch with them. You look at a publisher like Human Kinetics, they do a fantastic job with their strength training, nutrition, sports medicine, kinesiology titles. They do offer some textbooks, but if you go to our booth and you go to their booth, you'll see a difference in the style of textbooks. Um, F.A. Davis is another fantastic publisher com uh, publishing company. Uh, they seem to be doing a mix of both titles at the moment. So. There are options for getting your book professionally done through publishers who are in the profession. Um, I would never discount the self-publishing, um, but if you listen to the, the conversation with Dr. Noblock and Dr. Conan, you'll hear that there are costs associated with that. There are risks associated with that. And it can be a bigger uphill climb to reach your intended audience. What's nice about going with a professional publishing company is that we absorb all of those costs. We we print the books, we edit the books, typeset the books, we design covers. We do a full marketing plan for each individual title. Um, some of your listeners have probably received too many marketing pieces from us in the past. We really do try to slam the market and, and let people know when our titles are available. So the benefit of going with us is that there's no expense to the author. We're here as a guide. So self-publishing is definitely a fantastic option, but once you have a proposal prepared and ready to go, you could submit that proposal with tweaks to a, a number of publishers. So you're not restricted in um, waiting for just one person to get back to you. I recommend that people try to publish with multiple groups. Uh, Dr. Conan is a great example. He has published with a number of different publishers, including uh, Human Kinetics and with Slack Incorporated. And it's just what is a good fit for the author. This is a book that may need to reach practitioners or clinicians. Slack Incorporated is better at reaching faculty and students. So I want authors to realize that they also have the power in choosing what is a good fit for them. Uh, the worst thing in my mind as an author advocate would be to contract a book, have an author write and spend uh, years putting together a title, and then it being undersold or underperforming in the market. That would really be difficult for anyone to handle and it, it would only happen if it wasn't a good match from the get-go essentially if if our goals don't align with your goals you as an author should seek alternatives all right so we talked last time about the proposal the manuscripts getting all that stuff ready so i start writing my book you know uh, like dr Noblock said you know maybe write the first chapter or first three chapters kind of get that moving it that in line and then I submit that proposal to you so whenever I applied for a college you have to fill out the application and then you have to pay like the $50 fee or something like that so talk to me about the application process the cost the time and, and those kind of things from your end my sole job here is to collect uh, and, and develop new content and develop relationships with authors so that's what the company pays me to do all day I'm uh, having conversations with authors, reviewing proposals, helping people pull their manuscripts together. So Slack Incorporated pays me to do that for them. If you had a book idea and you wanted to start just with a simple conversation, you could pick up the phone or email me and you and I could casually talk about our book publishing process. It would start with the creation of a proposal. Typically, that would include a table of contents, a sample chapter, a copy of your CV, uh, a brief analysis of the market, and any other material that you think would be important to portray to me. 
I review that personally. I bring in the marketing team and ask them for their feedback. I run the idea pass management. And then you and I would work to fine tune a proposal. I may ask you for a little bit more research in an area, or I may say, let's swap this table of contents and move chapters here and there. My goal is to get the proposal ready for a blinded peer review process, which we do for every proposal that we receive that we think warrants um, our energy. So if you have a good idea, you take the time to put together your proposal. I then solicit feedback from up to half a dozen uh, peer reviewers in a blinded peer review process. That process is a questionnaire. We ask for their general thoughts on the idea, thoughts on the title, areas that we could improve, what they would like to see more of or less of. And I share that peer review back with you so that we can further enrich that proposal before we get to the approval stage. Even at that point, there have still been no cost to you other than time and opportunity costs, right? You most likely have some sort of um, word processing document uh, or software, and most people write their books right in Microsoft Word. Once, and as I said before, once you have that proposal already written, it, it's a valuable asset to you. If we're not the right fit, you already have the proposal ready to go to the next guy and to the next guy. So no cost up to that point whatsoever. And really throughout the entire process with Slack Incorporated in particular, no costs are ever really passed back to the author. I can think of a couple scenarios where permissions cost when you get to manuscript prep can be shared, but those are dealt with on a case-by-case -case basis, and that's probably a little bit further down the line. But for the most part, no cost to an office. Still fresh out of grad school. I, you know, so I finished my thesis two years ago. When you're talking about proposals and things like that, it you know kind of takes me back to you know all the all the all the work that you have to put in for a thesis, and you know the proposal and the defense, and obviously all the writing. And but the nice thing about with a, with a thesis is you you, know, you have a thesis committee, you have advisors that help you kind of fine tune things and and you know help you know if you're if you're not a great writer they they help you because they have the experience in that. When you're doing it, when you're when out, let's say I'm you know working on a proposal for your publishing company, um, and I'm kind of doing doing that on my own at the beginning, you know, when I'm putting everything together to send you all my documents, kind of it's it seems overwhelming to me a little bit because I, obviously I've never done that. But um, wh where do you see the where people have the most trouble or wh where do they get caught up the most in that process? Yeah, so I, I think that it's actually just putting the pen to paper. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had about uh, just general ideas, uh, things that we should pursue or things that people want to write. It, it's almost endless. Everybody has a book idea. It's just actually getting the pen to paper and putting it together. You don't have to have a fully envisioned proposal by the time that you and I are having a conversation. You might come to me and say, I have an idea for a new book on nutrition. And I will tell you where I stand on nutrition, what our goals are as a company. You'll tell me what you think and how your book will be different. And then we can decide whether or not it's even worth your time to do a proposal. So even if you have a book idea and you really want to pursue it to the next step, it's okay to reach out to an acquisitions editor and float the idea. They may then come back and ask you for materials, but there's no harm in telling them your idea as long as you have a positive relationship and you, you get a good feeling about the company and, and who you're working with and what your goals are. So kind of along those lines there real quick, um, floating my idea to a, an editor or a book publisher, it seems a little scary. Like, how do I know that I can trust you 
to not take that idea and get somebody that's a little bit more qualified or something like that. Like, how often does that happen? I would say that it really doesn't happen. And the reason being is that this business is really all about relationships. Uh, I have been doing this for 15 years. Longevity is the biggest asset an acquisitions editor can have. It means you're a trustworthy person. It means you do the things you're supposed to do. It means that you don't share people's ideas without them knowing and you give credit where it's due. If I had done that to anyone in the profession throughout my tenure here, that would ripple through. People talk, people have those conversations, and it would negatively impact my reputation as an acquisitions editor. It would negatively affect Slack Incorporated as a publishing company. It's just something that you can't do because the negative repercussions would be you really couldn't un, uh, recover from those. Now, there, there are times when simultaneous idea generation happens, right? Um, you look at a situation like simulation. Simulation is a hot topic these days. How can I incorporate some simulated experiences into my clinic? Well, it's common for uh, author A to have a similar idea to author B because that's what's happening at this time. But I wouldn't go and say, here's what author B is doing and tell author A uh, all the great things that I think so that I could steal their idea. I treat everything separately. Also, for me personally, I don't know how it's run at other publishing companies. If I have someone who approached me with an idea, I don't pursue that idea until they've had an opportunity to really flesh it out. So you come to me and you want to do a book on research and athletic training. I'm working with you regardless of how quickly or how slowly that comes to fruition until we decide that it's a good fit for us or it's not a good fit for us. Once that's done, if we contract, great, you're our research book guy. If it's not contracted, in the future, we may pursue other research books, but we would never use yours as a base for any uh, further development. Yeah, it's really all about that reputation. If you tarnish your reputation and if you're not a reliable person in this business, you just won't survive. Um, with athletic training, obviously there's, you know, when I think – about you know textbooks that we had in school, I think of you know uh, Dr. Starkey's orthopedic books because I went to OU and he, he was he was our program director. But you know yeah. you have you have the Prentice books and you have some of the other ones. So there are a lot of similar ideas of you know things that, that people want. The AT community with with the books that you help publish is is there kind of going off Jeremy's question too? Is there you know have you had situations where there's been you know two or three people kind of with the same idea, and on the other hand like does that make working with the AT crowd, the athletic training community, a little bit different than others? That because some of those ideas could be so, so similar, and and we're, I mean, we're, we have tons of areas that we, you know, specialize in. But you know, there's there's a lot. It seems like there's a lot of textbooks in certain areas. Yeah, and that's common. You'll definitely see the core curriculum represented almost by every publisher. They're all trying to have a modalities book. They're trying to have, mm -hmm. as I mentioned. Uh, nutrition, anything that is a requirement, publishers are trying to identify those courses and have an offering for it. Um, faculty are left to the decision to choose those books based on their own factors, whether it be cost, uh, relevance of material, whether somebody works at your institution. So that's all out there. What's great about athletic training is that it's, one, it's a group that is just full of energy, right? So there's no lack of ideas and energy. 
it's also a group that's expanding in their role. So it does open up practice areas that we might not have considered books before. I look at the topic of leadership and management. Here's an area where athletic training is moving. So I, that has to be on my radar screen to think, could we develop a leadership book? Now, if I get to a conference and I have three conversations with people saying, well, I'm looking for a leadership book, and three of them agree separately to put together proposals. I may solicit multiple proposals on the topic. We could choose one, we could choose none, or we could choose to publish all three. I'm less worried about competition within my in individual, oh, sorry, I have some computer issue here. Better? Um, I'm less worried about having competition within my individual line because I'm more, in, more focused on delivering great content and giving faculty, students, and practitioners, clinicians, the availability to choose. If I only choose one leadership book out of those proposals, then I'm, one, opening up my competition to go in and grab those titles, which I don't want them to do, <laughs> and uh, I'm limiting what I can offer to students and faculty who I'm trying to enrich and advance practice. So it, it happens, but again, we, we, we try to pick the cream of the crop, work with the best people, and develop the most relevant, timely content. And if that means I have two proposals on the same topic, uh, I'll take it. All right, so in that right there, you said picking the cream of the crop, the best. Um, and then in the podcast with Conan and, and Knobloch, they had mentioned like building that reputation, right? So if you're a... You're a big reputable company in book publishing but i am a new guy how what are some things that i can do to make sure that i am the cream of the crop i am the one that you pick out of those three four or five simultaneous uh, ideas yeah great question one of the uh, key areas is to be presenting or writing on your topic uh, you may be at the annual conference or at the educators meeting presenting on a topic that's will heighten my interest. You will also get credit as you would professionally for journal articles and for presentations, posters, all of that stuff that you can do to become the topic expert in your specific area will help build your clout there. Another great way to build a relationship with Slack Incorporated in particular is to get involved with uh, another project. I actually met Dr. Knobloch through uh, his contribution to another textbook we were working on, which then blossomed into a personal relationship that uh, spurred two other book titles. So it was just tangential. I didn't know him in person, but being involved in the writing process was how that relationship developed. Uh, I also am always on the lookout for new book reviewers and proposal reviewers. As I mentioned, we do a peer review process at the start, but we also do a peer review process once the manuscript has been submitted. And uh, people who reach out to me and say, I have expertise in this area, and if you have any books, send them my way. So I've developed relationships that way. And just coming up and visiting with us, being actively involved, um, visiting our website, maybe reaching out to one of our textbook reps, any way that you can put your face in front of Slack Incorporated helps get on the radar screen. But it's, it's all tied into what you would do just through professional development. If it turns out that you're in the news a lot for being a popular athletic tra athletic trainer for a sports team and maybe you're known as the expert in sports hernia, 
then that gets on my radar screen too. So it's a two-way street in doing what you need to do to develop yourself professionally to be the best area expert and me just keeping my feelers out there, presenting opportunities for us to collaborate. We don't always have to jump right into a book project. We can start with something like a review. If we have a good relationship, we can take that to the next step. Everything I do is incremental at Slack Incorporated. I try not to make any of the processes burdensome. I realize that you have a day job and a family and other things to take care of, and that a book, while it is somebody's, could be somebody's dream, isn't necessarily their highest priority. So I have to make it seem reasonable, uh, work on a timeline of your choosing, provide you with the resources to make it as easy as possible to create the proposal, to write that chapter, to deal with contributing authors who don't always come through, and then to get you over to our editorial and marketing team where then I wipe my hands clean. So kind of going off that, Jeremy talked about kind of being the new guy and how to, how to get your, your name out there and, and stuff. One of the, and this is, I'm kind of personally interested in, in this, in this question. Um, one of the newer areas that's starting to blossom a little bit in, in athletic training and in more of the uh, emerging settings is, you know, a private practice. And, you know, some athletic trainers are, are in a cash-based situation where they're working out of a gym or they have their own facility and, you know, they, they have they have a physician that they're working with, but they're, they kind of have their own place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some, some, some athletic trainers are doing consulting and uh, per, per diem stuff. That, it's a pretty new area, you know, and it's definitely not, you know, like evidence-based, like, you know, something else would be like a lower extremity functional exam or, right. or you know, special tests. If I'm, if I'm a new guy and I'm in that realm, um, I, probably your, your publishing company wouldn't be wouldn't be the best for that because it's newer and I, I could be wrong on that and please correct me if I'm wrong but how would how would you go about maybe gaining more um, notoriety in, in that in that setting and you know if, if you did want to write a book one day on that like uh, for, for example um, uh, Alicia Pennington who, who who's been, been on this podcast quite a bit and she she, she has her own business and she's a very very um, huge advocate for emerging settings and athletic training in general. She just uh, wrote, wrote an ebook and uh, released it a couple weeks ago on, um, and I forget the exact title of it, but I, I got to read it early, early on. It was really, really good. And so would that, would that be a good place to start for somebody in a setting like that where it's not, um, hasn't been, you know, hasn't been around for decades? Would, would they start with an ebook or is that, is that something that they, they could, you know, kind of go through a, a traditional publisher? Yeah, we, you could certainly start with an ebook. There's nothing preventing you from doing so. Um, to build that professional clout, again, presenting where you can, poster presentations, seminars, online courses, getting involved with social media and sharing content that you've developed or content related to what you're doing, just building your uh, personal uh, and professional ethos, the, uh, the material that surrounds you as a person. So if you're in even an emerging practice area, uh, you don't get discounted just because it's new. You probably uh, are in that area because there is opportunity there. And if you're already thinking about writing a book or sharing your ideas, then at some point you've had to be successful because those who aren't successful aren't going to want to share their failure stories right off the bat. That would probably come in, in their retrospective biography. But uh, <laughs> um, So again, just doing what you can to build some attention around yourself personally. Uh, 
our authors are not only fantastic writers, but they do much more and give back to the profession in a number of different ways. Uh, they may be on the council for uh, uh, education, working with Katie, right? Or they may be serving as an, uh, an item writer for the BOC. So there's a lot of different ways to bring some attention to yourself in a way that's related to publishing without necessarily diving into the publishing world. Um, emerging areas are something that we have our fingers on. It's just been our experience that emerging areas take a little bit longer to work their ways into the curriculum. Now that is changing a little bit because we're seeing with the change to the master's degree, uh, a widening of the topics that we can offer and the topics that can be covered in a traditional curriculum, right? So areas like leadership and uh, culture, culture and cultural competence. These are areas that you will likely see more content developing in because there's going to be time developed uh, related to it in the coursework that's going to be required for each athletic training student. We also follow the standards and the practices that are you know, handed down from the NATA and from Katie. So we try to work every one of those into our books. If you are an area that isn't necessarily evidence-based or supported, there's not a lot of content around yet, you can be that pioneer and we could still take that chance on you. We just have to do our best to make it uh, appealing to a, the right audience. Even if it's a small audience, what that then comes down to is how do we reach this market? How do we effectively uh, put it out there so that they can buy it, they can digest this material, and then they can become a better athletic training athletic trainer because of it? So that's where the marketing side of it comes in. It's okay to do a small book by uh, an author who doesn't necessarily have a lot of notoriety if the content's good and you think you can effectively market and sell it. The bigger publishers, they're going to have a harder time getting that type of book approved. But because we're a mid-sized publisher and our goal is to develop strong relationships with the authors and put out new and interesting content in addition to our textbooks, we may be better suited to move in that direction. When you get up to the, the biggest of the big guys, they're really looking for blue chip products that are going to sell X amount of dollars per year and they don't really care about their relationships. And that's been a benefit to Slack Incorporated. Um, as some of the other public publishers have merged and become the monsters that they have, being a small family-owned company, having 15 years in my experience, 25 years in the athletic training market, we have our fingers on the pulse and we're better able to analyze projects because of that. So emerging content areas, I still encourage people to write books in there. Just make sure you're a good fit for us and we're going to do the same for you. It really comes back to that. Uh, so with Jeremy asked a question earlier about the cost of, you know, what it takes from start to end, you know, going through a publisher like, like Slack Incorporated. What about, you just said you said the cost really could be very low because you guys take you guys kind of absorb absorb most of that cost. What about the the time frame? I'm, I'm interested to hear about that. From you know, I mean, it, it'd be kind of subjective. You know, how how much time somebody put in before they came to you, but what, once they come to you, what's the time frame? I mean, and again, I know it's probably subjective as well, but you know, from when they come to you to when that book is published. Yeah, great question. We we do have common time frames that I generally offer, as you mentioned, it does vary project to project. 
once you have a proposal and you submit it to me, that peer review and in-house process typically takes four to eight weeks for us to get an answer for you. We want to make sure that we're running all our in-house data analysis, but we also rely on that third-party external review system, which sometimes is great and effective and quick, and other times uh, projects fall through the cracks because a reviewer doesn't come through. It's common, it happens. So I would say the proposal review process takes four to eight weeks. Once we get through the proposal review process and we fine tune the proposal in a way that makes us both happy, we move towards a contract. Um, we even negotiate the points of that contract and in that decide what a realistic timeline is for you to write the book. Most commonly, it appears to be 12 to 15 months. People feel most comfortable with that window. Now, I have projects where we're contracted out to 2022 and 2023. So obviously, those people thought that their projects would take additional time. And as a publisher, we always need content. So I'll contract books out to 2030 if I have to. I need things in the pipeline. Um, so 12 to 15 months for you to write. What's unique about Slack Incorporated is that we maintain a lot of flexibility and contact with our authors. So I'm your guy. I'm, I'm the guy who's reaching out every couple weeks or couple months, depending on how much you like to be prodded and probed and asking for brief updates. But for the most part, you're often writing and you're writing on a timeline of your choosing. So if uh, you get a particular week where you have some spare time and you can spend 30 minutes a day writing, fantastic. But if you go through some hardships or you change jobs or something else happens and the book sits for 30, 30, 30 days and you've done nothing, that's fine too. Um, we do maintain that flexibility because we do know that life interferes and, and sometimes things don't come together the way you had hoped. So once the manuscript is submitted, you're looking at another eight to 10 months, depending on the size and, and what's in the queue and how publishers and printers are lining up. But about eight to 10 months for us to take that raw manuscript, run it through another peer review process, clean up any inventory related issues, uh, inventory being like, did you include all the permissions you were supposed to or the tables and the figures in order? And then for us to edit it, typeset it, format it, for you to review it, for us to clean it back up, for you to review it again, for us to get it over the printer. So big picture, you're looking at realistically 24 to 30 months. It can go faster, but if you're talking about very start to very end, probably about a two-year window, I think, is is common. Okay. And you, so you talked about that contract, and this just kind of popped into my head as you were talking. Does it depend on the subject area that you're writing in and the market research that you've done on how many books you actually print or is it the same amount of prints up front every time and then depending on how that how the market reacts do you print more or how, how does that work yeah so um i've seen a lot of publishing contracts over the year i would say that we're right in line with what everybody else is doing um, we don't put initial print runs in our contract it's mainly more of an agreement that says we're allowed to publish your content and here's how we're going to work together to market it Here's what your royalty percentage is. Here's your due date. Here's what we expect of you. And then we provide very specific author guidelines as a separate document for actually putting your manuscript together. So those things are a little bit separate. Um, as far as what we identify print runs, 
that comes a little bit later in the process because if if you and I start talking about a book idea now and I think it's going to be a great seller, what we're not looking at is what happens two years from now when it's out. Has a competitor come up? Has the market changed? Are we st- is there evidence supporting this now? And we may change our print runs up or down based on that. But again, that that's an in-house decision. You don't absorb any of those costs. It's a factor that we just think, how many books can we print now? Um, we have great relationships with our printers, so we can turn things around uh, fairly quickly. Uh, should we need to? Should we need to shorten those timelines? The best thing for us would be to print our first run and then have to go back and reprint because that means the book is successful and we want that to happen as much as possible. So um, contracts negotiated separately. So be aggressive uh, with what, you, what you're what you asking from a publisher right off the bat. You know, um, you know, reach for the stars and then negotiate on both sides what, what's a good fit. I'd say I have seen a little bit more um, flexibility in royalties and, and ways that royalties are paid out, um, not just with Slack Incorporated, but industry-wide. I've seen a change in the types of support authors can receive, whether it be working with the developmental editor or us designing a custom website to host your videos. So all of those things at the contract stage should be negotiated out. And I always just tell authors, because I'm an author advocate, reach for the stars, and then we'll put together the best financial package that we think uh, we can for this book. Uh, I hope nobody from management is listening, but I'm always on the side of the author. So when it comes to uh, reaching out and trying to secure the the maximum level of royalty or the maximum level of support or perhaps some money for grant writing, um, I I try to give it as much as I can um, because, again, my job is relationships with authors. Slack pays me to represent them, but... um, I'm more of an author advocate than I'm a publisher advocate at this point. <laughs> Does the athletic trainer crowd, are they any different in working with them versus the PT, the OT, or any other um, non-maybe medical that you may have experience with? Is the athletic trainer crowd any different? It's definitely different. As I mentioned before, it's um, it's a lot of energy. It skews on the younger side when you compare it to the other um, health professions. It's a group that is growing and has lots of fresh new ideas. Um, I have noticed just a change in the level of professionalism. Um, when I started attending these conferences back in 2008, it was more casual in nature. People dress more casually. It, now you go to the conference and you see more people wearing suits. And I think that everyone is just taking themselves more seriously in the profession. I think that you realize the, the value that you add and the, the special skill sets that athletic trainers have. And I think that as that's coming to uh, a head, you're just starting to see a higher level of athletic training student, professional, practitioner, educator. Everyone has just upped their level. Um, that's been really exciting to see. It's still a younger profession, so you're going through the changes that we've seen in the other professions. Uh, a change to a master's degree is a big deal. When we saw that in occupational therapy and physical therapy, there was a lot of controversy surrounding that, and it was a growing point, but not without a lot of stress and change. A- athletic trainers, I also find to be very uh, proactive, and I'll say, for a lack of a better word, aggressive. Um, they pursue their ideas and their topics, and 
they expect everyone to be accountable. I don't necessarily see that high level of accountability in some of the other professions that I work with. It's a, a little more forgiving in nature, but athletic trainers, as you would on the field or you know in the clinic, you would expect people to be doing what they told you they're going to do. So I, I, I feel that um, in a positive way, aggressive and proactive athletic trainers uh, definitely take the lead there. And then, as I mentioned, skewing to the younger side, it's a from a development, the content's there, but they're interested in different platforms for delivery. I work in occupational therapy and it's very textbook centered still. Uh, with athletic training, it's more likely that you wanna incorporate a companion website that has a video feature or a lab manual. It may be that you're using uh, the trail guide or some other sort of app at, for content delivery. So that makes me focus on projects in a different way. And it means that I have to garner different resources from the publishing house to make sure that your project is delivered in a positive way. So yeah, athletic training has been fantastic. And, and I'll just throw it out there. I, I've had a number of fantastic uh, late nights and fun parties with this group too. So <laughs> you definitely have that reputation going for you. <laughs> All right. So with it being a younger crowd, you know, obviously, like you said, there's lots of different media opportunities, social media. Does that play into it at all? So like looking at Todd, like he creates a lot of stuff on Instagram, a lot of resources. He's got several thousand followers, I think. Right. And so does that play into any of the proposals? And we, you know, you discussed the being seen as an expert. Does, does that factor into it at all? Yeah, it most definitely factors into it. And I would say in a, in a positive way, um, as long as you're putting out positive content. I think the, the more you can do to bring attention to yourself is, is fantastic. And authors always prove to be uh, the best self-promoters and the best promoters of their own material, right? So we have our in-house marketing department, but nobody knows the content like you know the content. Um, nobody will promote your book the same way that you will promote your book. So doing so on social media, through podcasts, uh, any other interview site that you can get involved in, Pardon me. Anything else that you can do to really uh, bring attention to yourself and the work that you're doing is fantastic. Yeah, we encourage people to use social media. We encourage people to uh, promote their book at every possible opportunity. And we provide materials to help support that once it's out there. So we'll give you the sales letters and flyers that you can hand deliver to people who attend your conferences. We'll create little tiny cards that you can hand out about your forthcoming title so that you're creating awareness and that you have something tangential to hand out to people as you talk about your idea. Uh, from a proposal side of things, yeah, I, I um, spend a lot of time researching authors, their backgrounds, what they're involved in. Uh, any area that I think may be a red flag or cause of concern, as much as I think anything that I think would be a fantastic selling point or a reason to work with someone. The, the fortunate thing about having been in this business for so long is that I've, I've surrounded myself by key opinion leaders and just some of the most fantastic authors you could imagine. And what happens there is it organically brings other people to my community who, who are like-minded and uh, related to those people. So, you know, like I mentioned, I have met you guys through Dr. Jeff Conan. If, if I didn't have that relationship with Jeff and he didn't make this introduction. This podcast would, or this broadcast would never go out, and, and then therefore we would never be talking. Uh, we might not reach somebody who has that idea who's a little bit nervous about going to the next step. So uh, it happens organically. It happens through work. 
but as much content and positive positive uh, atmosphere that you can put around yourself, the better. Uh, people who do get rewarded um, and people who don't, they just have a harder road to get down. I personally am not a huge social media uh, uh, fan. You know, I, I have an Instagram and a Facebook and both of them look like I probably passed away a couple years ago. But uh, um, for, for those who don't like to actively promote themselves, um, they just have to go about it in a different way, either through uh, getting their work out published, contributing to other books, and, and, and presenting at conferences, even though it might not be their area of expertise. So with working in, in this field for 15 years, and I'm sure with, with every one of us can, can think about specific things, what has been your favorite project that you've worked on? Yeah, this, this was a question that um, was very challenging, right? I could tell you some of my least favorite, but that would be scandal. <laughs> <laughs> and there are positives to almost every project, and I mean that very genuinely. Um, it's the experience of working with somebody to in some cases, make their dream come true or make their passion come to life. So I find that to be very rewarding. Uh, a project that I that I find that I had a lot of fun with and um, holds a special spot. There's really uh, it's a book called um, Oh, geez. I, it, give me one second. It's a uh, oh, sorry guys, I'm drawing a total blank. It's our case scenarios book for athletic trainers. It's by Keith Gorse. And in there, they just give real first world examples of uh, scenarios that athletic trainers might find themselves in that aren't necessarily tied to uh, coursework or tied to the clinic work. For example, um, there were some first responders at the Boston uh, Marathon bombing who were athletic trainers and they were students and it's a scenario that they would have never saw themselves in. And here we have these students doing triage right off the bat. Now they have training, but they're still athletic training students. And it's just a great example of a scenario that an athletic trainer might find themselves in. Um, the case book is interesting because it provides a jumping point for discussion. Um, while it's used as a textbook in some places, most people just use it as a way to generate a conversation with their students or with a colleague. And everybody has that one story that they like to, to tell, whether it be um, your worst day on the field or your best day in the clinic. And this is a collection of those stories. What about those authors who have, who have reached out to publishers and maybe have um, su submitted a... Um a proposal and have been rejected. What what would you what would you say to those authors who have been rejected multiple times and and you know probably are feeling a little bit down on themselves? Uh, in most cases, really don't take it personally. Um, even up to the last week, I had to let go a couple proposals that I was holding on, and it's not an easy decision for me. It's not an easy decision for the company, uh, and I, I can imagine that it weighs pretty heavy on those people who have invested the time and energy. So in our case, I always say, really don't take it personally. It's not a reflection of who you are and what you're capable of doing. And we've all heard those stories, including the tie back to David Goggins. You know, if, if, if life pushes you down, you can either feel bad about it or you can get back up, dust yourself off, clean up your proposal, take constructive criticism in a positive way, 
and work to fine tune it. And then we live in a world that's almost endless with possibilities, right? So whether if you're really passionate about getting this material out, which most of our authors are, you'll deliver it, whether it be on your personal website, you could deliver it in hand, uh, create your own print on demand project. So if you're really passionate about getting this out and you've been turned down by a number of publishers, just seek alternatives. They're, they're certainly out there and it's really, um, it's really the best way is, is just to keep going. Really, it's true in publishing as it's true in every other aspect of life. Uh, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and, and seek alternatives. Endless possibility in the publishing world. Self-publishing is great. Publishing with us is great. Publishing with F.A. Davis is great. You, you just have to find, as I mentioned previously, find what's a good fit for you. But most of our people are just trying to de deliver content to advance practice, to create better athletic trainers. And if that's truly your goal, you don't feel terrible about putting it up as a PDF on a website. Uh, if that's your if that's your last uh, last option. So a lot of athletic trainers talk about how when they watch sports, they look for the injuries or they watch for different um, deficiencies or movement patterns, that kind of thing. So you mentioned in the beginning when you read a book, it's kind of casual you'll read maybe a chapter and put it down and, and it's not like you get sucked in and stay up all night reading a book does being a book publisher change the way you read a book are you are you constantly thinking okay what makes this book good how am I going to get this person or this style does it affect you at all reading books yeah so one of one of my biggest uh, goals for the next five years is to increase reader engagement right um what I've seen is that most people or a majority of people can have no problem reading an 800 page Harry Potter book, right? But when it comes down to reading the 12 pages of a chapter, they just can't get through it. So one of my focuses over the next five years is really to improve that engagement and experience. Um, I'm not sure what that actually looks like right now, but I do know that we need to do a better job getting students and, and everyone else just reading a little bit we live in a world that's uh, delivered very quickly in short bits of information, and a book is opposite of that. So we're looking at features of a book to make it more appealing, whether that be uh, the use of images, tables, breaking up content, interactive books that have videos playing directly in them, or whether it's not a book at all. Uh, you know, the, that's the world we live in. So I, I, I would say that reader engagement and improving the user experience with content is where I'm going to be focusing my next five years. Cause I do think that that's, what's going to make a big difference. All right. So that actually perfectly fits into with the, the closing the call to action. And so I want to know what your goals are because as has been mentioned here, if you don't have your goals written down, if you don't like name them or, you know, whatever it is, if you don't, if you're not specific with your goals, then you're not going to accomplish them because you don't, you never knew what they were. They're just a vague idea. So write down your goals on a piece of paper and then maybe type them up and send them out in a tweet. Uh, you know, I would love to see it. You can tag me or Todd in there and see, Hey, these are my goals professionally, or these are my goals. I want to publish a book or, Hey, these are my goals. I want to start a podcast or I want to, you know, create content on Instagram, whatever it is, write down your, your, some of your goals and then send them out. Because if you see them often, if people ask you about them, then you're more likely to achieve them rather than if they're just an idea that's in your head because they can easily get 
lost and confused. So write down those goals, send them to us uh, on Twitter. I am Mr. Jeremy Jackson and Todd is at Todd Sports Med. So send them to us on Twitter. Um, in brands that he's pretty much not on social media at all, realistically. So if you want to get a hold of Brian and get some more information, like you said, if you want to casually have a conversation, hey, this is my idea, what do you think? Then his email is B Cummings. So it's B C U M M I N G S at Slack, as in like Slacker I N C. So it's S L A C K I N C dot com. Again, I'll have this in the show notes, but it's B Cummings at slackinc.com. Todd, what's going to be your way to get a hold of you? Uh, best ways, like we already said, uh, at Todd Sports Med on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. Brian, if somebody, is there another way to get a hold of you or is the email the best? Yeah, email's probably the best. You can always give me a call. I'm still from that generation that picks up the phone. And I think ideas are best discussed that way. You know, the email's a great way to nail me down on a specific time, but you can expect a phone call from me. That's my primary way of communicating with my authors and prospective authors. A little bit old school. No, I understand. I don't actually answer phone calls most of the time because it's <laughs> because it's almost always spam. Unless I know it, know who the person is, they're in my contacts. I don't. I don't usually answer the phone call. And so, yeah, email is great. Say, hey, let's. I'm gonna call you at noon. Oh, okay, cool. I'll be expecting a call at noon. All right. I have in the show notes a resource again, a link to slackinc.com and then some of the orthopedic journals, things like that. I have Brian's email, Todd's contact information as well. So the partners for the podcast today are Medbridge using the code DSMB saves you, it gets you a discount and also kind of gives me credit there for the sale. And that, that helps me as in, we're going to be giving away some during March, uh, giving away a membership because of people using the code and then using Mark pro again, it's a pretty cool new device helping with recovery and we're still learning how to use that there again, using the code DSMB and then stat packs. It's a AD type backpack. It's red. And we've talked about that on the podcast before you use the SMB 15. It's a code that'll save you 15% on that purchase there. So check those out. I'll have links to those in the show notes as well at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash publishing books again sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash publishing books so for brian cummings at slack inc todd sable and jeremy jackson the sports medicine broadcast that is a wrap